From Odyssey, I'm Lauren Berry, and this is the On Deadline podcast, where we bring you a deeper look at a top news story out of our radio newsrooms across the country. On Deadline this week are more calls to action after the nation was rocked by a series of mass shootings, first in Maine and then across the country, like dominoes propelled by the force of their own weight. Chicago, Tampa, Louisiana, Texas, Atlanta, Indianapolis. By the time the weekend was over, a dozen separate mass shootings had erupted across the U.S. Thoughts and prayers were into overtime, yet again, with no solution in sight. The carnage began in Lewiston, Maine last Wednesday, when 40-year-old Robert Card opened fire in a bowling alley and restaurant, claiming the lives of 18 and injuring a dozen more. Investigators believe Card's motive was mental health-related, though the investigation remains ongoing after Card was found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The shooting drew the eyes of the nation and a statewide shutdown as police searched for Card, who was a firearms instructor considered armed, dangerous, and at large. But here's the thing. While the U.S. was shocked, as is the case in many of these deadly situations, law enforcement had seen signs. According to a report from the Associated Press, a statewide awareness alert was sent to law enforcement in mid-September, noting that they should be on the lookout for Card. He'd already allegedly made threats to carry out a mass shooting at the U.S. Army Reserve base where he trained. In response, police visited his home. He wasn't there. So they increased patrols at the base and moved on. Other threats, other crimes, other guns. Denise Brodeur lives in the outskirts of Lewiston, and she joined Odyssey to discuss the impact of the shooting on her community. How are you taking it? Well, it's um, very sad and extremely scary. It feels so unsafe. And we always say if it can happen here, it can happen anywhere. Because we have a small community, but there's such an emptiness Even though I didn't know any of the victims that they've placed their names on the news, there's such a heartfelt emptiness that we share, my husband and I, and our family, too. Our hearts are just broken, and we're just sad for those who's lost, who's lost loved ones. It's like a piece of our own hearts have been taken. You know, I I can't even begin to imagine the way it must feel of living your life in an area where that kind of thing just doesn't happen close to you. But then suddenly it does. And not only that, but did you kind of feel like you could be in the line of fire because it's such a small, close-knit community? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, You know, it makes you wonder can I go to the restaurant after this? Can I go to events? These places were common areas that regular folks used to go to, the bar and grill and the spare time recreation for bowling. I mean, great places to to hang out, see the young ones play and bowl, and even the oldies too. And uh, Schmengi's was a great place to play cornhole and pool. I've never been, but my children, they're grown, of course, they have been many times. And it's just a safe and a comfortable place for people to go to after work and meet friends. Are you even entertaining thoughts of perhaps moving now? No, no. This is our community, and our community has always banded together. It's large enough. There are about 36,000 people. However, we have such close ties, and 
We have such good friends. There are such wonderful people that live here, people that uh, we've made friends with uh, in our business. And we've got family here. So, no, I don't think we'll ever leave. We'll vacation outside of Maine, but we'll never leave our home. We talked to another resident yesterday who said that in that area, a lot of people have guns, carry guns. Uh, They use them for hunting. Hunting happens a lot in that area. Do you think that might change? Do you think people's feelings about having and using a lot of guns for hunting or, or whatever they wish to use them for might change? Well, something needs to change. However, it doesn't seem like the red flag laws help at all because what they are are just a reaction to an action that was committed. So it's a temporary thing. They take the guns away, but the action has been committed. I don't think that's going to help. I really don't. I think it goes a little deeper than that. I think where we have to start is with HIPAA. And HIPAA is, it's at the hospitals, it's at the doctors, and they do not let people know about other people's medical issues. Whenever there's a gun that's purchased, there should be a background check, but there also should be a mental health check. And this is where HIPAA has to change their laws so that our government or uh, whatever the people are that can do this is to be able to review the mental health issues, especially with this man. He was in a mental institution. He came out and he should have been flagged. And not the red flag, but there's something that has to be done. But I don't think it starts with the red flag laws. I think it goes, it has to start with HIPAA. We have to stop making large magazines. The worst mass shooting so far this year was shocking and unsettling, sure. But there have already been at least 580 mass shootings in 2023, according to the Gun Violence Archive. A mass shooting is defined as a shooting in which four or more people are shot, excluding the shooter. Pundits debate if the U.S. has so many of these incidents because of sparse mental health resources or too many guns on the street. Some would say it's the fault of the culture itself that glorifies violence. Where does the law fit into the question? Michael Roke, associate professor of sociology at Bates College in Lewiston, Maine, joined Odyssey to discuss what laws would help stop gun violence and why they're so hard to pass. It's not so much the so-called assault weapon or an assault weapon ban. It's not the gun, it's the magazine, correct? Yeah, so we actually conducted a study to look at a whole host of gun laws across the United States from 1976 to 2018 to determine really rigorously what laws are associated with mass public shootings, which ones seem to maybe decrease them or make them less deadly. And what we found in that study was only two laws seemed to stand out, one being a permit, requiring a permit for uh, to purchase a weapon, and that reduced the incidents that happen across states. But as you mentioned, the other one that's really interesting is a large-capacity magazine ban. Now, a large-capacity magazine is a term used for a magazine that can hold more than 10 rounds. And so there are states that ban these as a regular law, and when those laws go into effect, if there is a shooting event, then the casualties are lower in those states. So I'm guessing back in August of 2021 when this was published, uh, Policy Solutions to Address Mass Shootings, it was a somewhat abstract concept to you now. It's very real. Has anything changed as far as your thinking goes or or not? Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've been studying mass shootings, in particular the mass public shootings, the kind that had happened here in Lewiston last week, for more than 10 years. And it has been, as you mentioned, you know, you, you recognize the tragedy and you read the stories of people's heartache and the anger that, that these perpetrators often exude. And, and it does take a toll on you, but I have to say it's just been much different to, to have this happen in one of my communities and to know people who are suffering directly. It, it really does put the humanity into focus and it, it makes the research, I think, a little bit more urgent. You know, it's no longer just an academic exercise. This is something that we need to take steps to figure out and we need to do that, I think, quickly. Does it change anything that uh, you, you found to be true in the study from August of 2021, make you doubt what was in that study, or is it just emotion as opposed to logic? No, I mean, there's a lot of emotion still, you know, and I think that's going to be the case for a while. But the, the findings that we came out with in our study, and we had several different angles and things that we published. It was a federally funded grant trying to basically comprehensively study mass public shootings in the United States from 1976 to 2018. And we found a lot of things that fit this case. But one thing that didn't fit the case was the fact that he ran. And, you know, we're still trying to figure out what exactly was going on there. You know, he didn't cover his face. And so he was easily identified very quickly. But he, he didn't seem to be intending on taking his life at the scene, which is somewhat unusual. And so trying to understand what that was all about, you know, because, again, there, there is the, the copycat element and the fact that he was missing for so long, unfortunately, could give some ideas to, to other people. And so I think that's an angle that we didn't necessarily understand or, or, or didn't come out of the data that we were looking at. And so that's something that we're going to pay attention to. So when you look at this shooter... He had psychological problems and he sought treatment. And one catch-22 in all of this is, well, if you have psychological treatment and then you prevent somebody from getting a firearm, all that's going to do is encourage people that need psychological treatment not to seek it because then they won't be able to get a firearm. Did your study address any of this at all? We didn't, you know, because we... So our, our study went from 2018 to 2021, and it was really 2020 that Maine and other states started to implement these new laws, and Maine's law is called a yellow flag law. It's, it's kind of unique in, across the country. Uh, it's related to the red, red flag laws that you may have heard of, which basically allow a family member or friend to petition the court to basically try to demonstrate that an individual is dangerous and that they should have their guns dispossessed. A Maine's yellow flag law is goes a little further than that and requires a mental health professional to weigh in. And so, you know, that was something that seems relevant here. It was not invoked, but it was too new at the time. This was passed in Maine in 2020, so we didn't have a chance to actually dig into that. But we know that it has been used something like 58 times, generally speaking, for people who are intending to harm themselves. But the important thing here is that the yellow flag laws come into effect when not just when someone has a psychological issue or needs treatment, but when they have demonstrated to be a harm to themselves or a threat to themselves or to someone else. So that's a key part of that. Lewiston, Maine joins a list of mass shooting locations that includes a Nashville school, a Louisville bank, a California dance hall, and a Texas outlet mall. With each tragedy comes a renewed call to action from lawmakers and advocates demanding that something be done to stop gun violence in this country. However, with one party controlling the Senate and the other controlling the House, there's little chance that even a spending bill will be passed, let alone legislation on gun control. 
Adam Winkler is a constitutional lawyer at UCLA Law School. He joined Odyssey to discuss what changes could be coming after a weekend of violence. Here we are again, people standing firm that their right to bear arms is protected by the Constitution, and those who say people don't need to have certain types of weapons, like assault weapons. Why can't the U.S. seem to get this right and come up with sensible gun laws? Well, one reason is that the Second Amendment has been expanded in recent years, and some courts have suggested that restrictions on high-capacity magazines and military-style rifles is unconstitutional and a violation of the Second Amendment. That decision is not final, and we'll have to wait to see what the Supreme Court does on that question in the years to come. But one growing burden for gun safety reform are the courts. You know, it's it's interesting because every time something like this happens, you always see a lot of the same things being said, and they're said over and over again, and that doesn't make them invalid. It still makes them valid because the point is made that other Western democracies have maintained their freedom, and yet they have gun laws and gun restrictions, and yet they're still free. They haven't been taken over by a dictatorship or anything like that. Why can't, why are we alone among the Western democracies in not being able to figure this out? Well, I think largely because there is a huge group of Americans who believe that most gun restrictions are not effective and unconstitutional, and that they believe that this is a kind of big government solution to a problem that uh, should best be handled at a more personal or individual level. Uh, We have to remember that gun rights have a very, very strong political component in America, and gun rights have been furthered even more in the political process through getting favorable legislation to loosen gun laws, uh, even than they've had in the courts, where the courts are reading the Second Amendment to limit gun laws. So where do we go from here? Do we need to tinker with the Second Amendment again? I don't think tinkering with the Second Amendment is a good idea or uh, in terms of uh, either its effectiveness or its wisdom. I do think that uh, we are seeing a a real push, a a real energized uh, mobilization for gun safety reform. And one of the things that gun safety advocates have going for them is, is that this steady stream of mass shootings that doesn't seem to ever end provides constant material for them to persuade people that we need to limit certain kinds of weapons or we need to do more to combat gun violence. And until these mass shootings stop, and they don't seem to be on the precipice of doing that, that pressure for gun reform is not going away. And, you know, a lot of people feel like that uh, they keep this pressure on, they keep fighting for it and they keep fighting for it. But the thing is, the longer it takes, the pile of bodies appears to be getting bigger and bigger. Well, and it's true. Our gun violence problem has only gotten worse in recent years. There were some people who were predicting that if we loosened our gun laws, gun violence would be uh, reduced uh, as people were fearing being confronted by other people with arms. So far, it doesn't seem like that's the case. And gun violence has started to spike again in America. And and these mass shootings are just a particularly high-profile bad example of that larger phenomenon. So far this year, more than 35,000 people have lost their lives to gun violence. Meanwhile, the Associated Press reported that gun rights activists have for years held up Maine as an example of a place with both low rates of violent crime and unrestricted gun laws. The state has a long-standing culture of gun ownership. That's tied to its traditions of hunting and sport shooting, per the AP. In fact, a gun rights group helped write Maine's gun law. 
It's called a yellow flag law, which temporarily removes firearms from people deemed a threat to themselves and others. It's different from a red flag law, like the one in New York. That prevents people from purchasing or owning a firearm. Earlier this year, Maine's lawmakers rejected proposals to require background checks for private gun sales. And Maine is also one of 20 states that allow permitless carry. That's the ability to have a concealed weapon in public without a permit. Will Wednesday's shooting change any of that? We'll have to wait and see. This show is produced by Joe Heady, Christy Strauser, Myron Kaplan, and Bill Smee. I'm Lauren Barry, and I want to say thanks for listening to On Deadline, Odyssey's serving of a top news story just for you. Subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts to stay informed.